Welcome to the Business, Wealth and Mindset Podcast. Your space for real motivational interviews and cutting-edge business content to inspire your positive mental attitude. And now, your host, Alex Sopala. Hi, and welcome to part two of two of my incredible interview with the legend that is Mr. Ray McLennan, a public speaker and author, as well as world record holder. So we got talking about his life experiences growing up in Scotland, his career in the army, school, amongst all his many, many and vast experiences in life and business. Uh, He talks about his uh, law career, uh, running... um, Uh, restaurants and uh, his uh, knowledge sharing and podcasts amongst a lot of us things that uh, he has to offer as a very experienced entrepreneur and uh, a mentor as well so without further ado here's the second part if you haven't listened to the first part i strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that so that you can get the full picture of the legend that is mr ray mclennan so without further ado here's myself with Mr. Ray McLennan. So I was a bit bedraggled by this, but I went to see an accountant who was a member of an organization called the Results Accountant Network, R-A-N, mm-hmm. and gave me a, a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, mm-hmm. you know, The Entrepreneurial Myth. Yeah. Which, which is basically there are uh, technicians and then there are managers and you need to learn to work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. So I was yeah. very much working uh, in the business, not the on the business. Yeah. He said, look, there are systems, processes, set the whole thing out, um, and, and it became so much easier after that, mm. so much easier after that. So um, I ended up uh, many running a number of restaurants for a number of years and then eg- exiting that when – um, when I, I suppose the, the property values and the value of the leases was higher than the profit margin from the restaurant and people were offering money for that. Yeah. Um, and also the organization that I'd sort of plugged in with because it, it was a sort of quasi franchise by now, mm-hmm. not that I was a franchisee under their banner rather than me trying to run the restaurants. And they were, they were, you know, we'd come into another recession and they weren't doing quite so well. So I'd received um, a lot of offers to do different things yeah. with my, my newfound skills so that I exited the restaurant business probably mm. at the right time. Mm. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? So I, I was kind of, I had a bit of lost direction for a bit after that. And, and then I decided to do a law degree. Yeah. The reason I did a law degree is Going back to my father, um, when I left school and I didn't go to university, mm-hmm. uh, he was quite annoyed by that because he said you would have been the first in our family ever to have gone to university oh, and you had the chance and you didn't take it. So he was yeah. quite annoyed. He was quite annoyed at me. Mm-hmm. And he'd had this grudge for quite a while and he'd never actually said to me until until sort of it came down to it now and I was, you know, mm-hmm. a, bit, a, bit, a bit rudderless. Yeah. And that combined actually with him um he had he had bought a, a, a new property him and my mother had bought this new property and it was in in a, a block with a lots of other flats that kind of down you know were getting older now and they were downsizing they'd yeah. gone 
a huge house which sold to this much smaller one. Yeah. And uh, because it was a new building, it uh, they got their first rates bill, their first council tax bill. Yeah. And when I he I remember he looked at it and he said, "That seems awful high. That's a big bill." Yeah. You know, I took a look at it and I thought, "Yes, it is actually." And I started getting getting comparisons from places around and um, and then I thought, right, you know, I think you should appeal this. So because it was the first bill, you have six months in which to, to lodge an appeal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and, and lodged an appeal for him. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, you just appealed to the council. Yeah. It's about a banding. You know, you've got band A, B, C, D, E, yeah. uh, F, G or something like that. And then... The banding was taken from a census in 1991, I think. So if the value of your house in 1991 was 20,000, you were yeah. in the band. If it was 40,000, you were in a, you, you know, the higher the value, the more council tax you paid. Mm-hmm. So I thought his was in the wrong banding. Yeah. Two, you know, by two bands. Yeah. But a lot of money. I mean, it was a difference of about something like a thousand pounds a year of a difference or something. Wow. That's really. so, so it was worth doing. Now, there were 20 properties in this block. So um, I, I went to them and at some of them and I said, look, you know, this is what we should do. We should do this. We should get a lawyer to do it. And yeah. they were all like, oh, no, no. there was nobody really wanted to, to do it. They were like, well, if you want to do it, that's great. But no, we're not paying anything. So I thought, right, OK, well, spoke to a lawyer about doing it and they quoted us ridiculous amounts of money, you know, yeah. for doing this appeal because mm-hmm. the council had rejected it. So now we had to go to court to present. Yeah. So I thought, well, how hard can it be? <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll just pull yeah. this thing together and I'll do it. Yeah. Um, you know, why not? So, uh, so I sat down and I constructed this legal challenge. Yeah. <laughs> we went to court. We went to court. Yeah. Uh, but because it was council tax, things like that, it wasn't a court with a normal judge sitting there with a wig on and a red robe or anything like that. There was yeah. there was one uh, lawyer appointed by the panel or whatever it was, and then there was something like seven or eight other lay people who would hear your hear your challenge. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was me and my father sat on the right hand side, and over on the left hand side was the local council. Yeah. The local council had two or three advocates, barristers, mm-hmm. to their case. Mm. So we sat there. We weren't first on the docket. There were several. Um, uh, cases before us. Yeah. So we listened to the cases before us. So mm. the first couple of cases, somebody stood up and a lawyer and went, I represent Mr. and Mrs. Smith from such and such a place, and they think they've been wrongly judged. And, and it was all very much like this. And yes, Your Honor, and uh, we put it to you, and it was all this sort of carry on. And then the council guys would get up and they'd say, No, here's a court, here's a case. Under under this case, that case, the next case, it doesn't stack up. Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the panel would then go right. Okay. Well, blah, 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 and they would mumble and chat to each other and go, "What do you think?" And then they go, "Right. Okay. Well, we we find in favour of the council." Yeah. So Mr. and Mrs. Smith and their lawyer would slink off. They'd be oh, we lost. <laughs> and this happened time after time, and we we're sat there, and I thought, I looked at my dad, and I thought, oh, I think we we're going to lose this. They're just going to, yeah. you know, but. While I was there, and I had my old thing together, something the barrister had said in an earlier case, mm. he'd have to contradict for our case. Okay? Um. Contradict. He'd have to lie, effectively. Mm. So I thought, I might catch him out on this. So I'd prepared the case, but I also prepared, you know, 
big boards showing the map of the building, something yeah. other people had. Everything they had was black and white and words. But mm. I created a few of these sort of whiteboards yeah. with pictures on. So I stuck pictures of comparisons because I'd never been. I didn't know how it worked. Okay? Mm. So I showed them a compare. held up this whiteboard, which had our, this is our property. Yeah. And here's the map, and that's where it is on the map. Mm-hmm. And I handed it up to the panel to take a look at, and I was getting out of my seat and walking up towards them and everything, and you could hear the others mumbling, going, this is a bit out of order. I'm not quite yeah. sure how to do this. <laughs> terrible, you know, but, but I was walking up to them and going, oh, you can see here. Because they were not judges or lawyers. They were lay people. And they were going, oh, yeah, we see what you mean. Yeah, all right, okay. And mm-hmm. I showed them a comparison property. So I said, so what they're trying to do is they're comparing our house to this house, and, the, and there was this palace. Yeah. I said, but we're actually this house, and it wasn't quite a palace. Yeah. See? So they want us to pay the palace prices for yeah. the normal house. And I think that's, you know, uh, that's it's, not fair. Yeah. Anyway, then their lawyer got up, and he did. He basically contradicted himself, and I thought, I've got him. Yeah. So my chance came back, and I said, well, I, I you know, I heard what the honorable gentleman, or whatever you called it, or whatever it was, uh, yeah. had said um, a few. I, I heard what he'd said uh, in a previous case. Yeah. But he's now contradicting himself uh, because he said this. Yeah. And now he's saying this in our case, and it's completely wrong. So either one or the other is wrong. So yeah. if you found in favor of them, the, the, the counsel for the earlier case, yeah. then logically you have to find in favor of us now for this case. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I sat yeah. Down. Yeah. Anyway, they muttered and murmured, and, and they got up and they went out of the room mm. to their verdict, you see. And I'm yeah. sat. My, just me and my dad on one side, yeah. we have lawyers on the other side. <laughs> so the, the people came back in and sat down and they said, um, well, we've considered this closely and taken all the merits. And of course, I'm sitting there going, I'll get to it. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you think they're going to turn around. And, and the way they, they, they put it, they sort of, I've, we've heard the arguments from the council and it sways in favour of the council and then yeah. they Arguments from Mr. McLennan, and it sways back in favor of you, and you don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they say, So at the end of the day, we find in favor of Mr. McLennan. Gavel. Wow. <laughs> anyway, I looked across at the advocate for the council, and he literally looked like he just choked on his lunch. Yeah. Across, and he went, like, Yeah, okay, all right, you know, like, but it was a wonderful victory. Wonderful. Yeah. So, we came out, my dad's like, right, that's it. We're going to celebrate. This is fantastic. You know, yeah. we, we hadn't only saved my father a thousand pounds a year, but everyone else in the block because they would yeah. all be banded. Yeah. Right? So I thought, well, they're all going to be hugely grateful. We're going to get, you know, loads of presents, loads of gifts, all this kind of carry on, and it'll be great. No, we didn't. <laughs> I think one person sent uh, sent me a bottle of wine or something like that. I just saved yeah. them a hand a year. Wow. wow. Opportunity for the rest, you know. This was a yeah. phenomenal verdict. Yeah. And I got all for it. But uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> the upshot was my dad turned to me and he went, You're a natural son. He yeah. Said, this, wow. this is the life for you. And I, and I thought, well, actually, it is. And it combined with a lawyer uh, uh, that I fell out with. Mm-hmm. who presented a bill to me, which was much bigger than I expected, for the sale of some of the restaurant premises. Yeah. Uh, and he'd said something like, because I said, a lawyer, look at this money you're charging me. It's ridiculous. You haven't done anything. And mm-hmm. he said, well, you think being a lawyer is easy. You should do it. So the mm-hmm. combination of those two things 
that's why, that's why I did the law degree. Yeah. So I yeah. went and became a lawyer. Um, and having having become a lawyer, I, I did law for a, not 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 a long time because mm. I was stifled by the whole legal industry. Yeah. So much so that I ended up writing a book called No Business for Old Men: The Future of the Legal Profession. Mm. I started blogging about law. So we're now into the you know two thousands. Yeah. yeah. I, I started blogging about law and about uh, hourly billing and how it was terrible that lawyers charged two hundred pounds an hour and. They didn't do anything and all this kind of carry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I walked around that law firm as if I owned the place. I mean, it had 150 employees, 20 partners, but I was nothing in the law firm when I joined it. It's yeah. true. But I'd had previous business experience mm. of, you know, the army, importing beer and wine, a number yeah. of other things, running restaurants, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so I'd come a bit later in life. Mm. I was in my 30s and I'd come a bit later in life. So, I saw the law firm through completely different eyes. Yeah. And so having done the e-myth by Michael Gerber, having gone through the results accountant network and systems and processes, everything mm. was different to me. Mm. So I could see how a law firm could be a business rather than, you know, the way it was. Yeah. It was so much more efficient. Mm. It could be so much more profit. Yeah. Law firms were, you know, I mean, if you try and buy a cake, right, you can buy a cake, for five pounds, okay? Yeah. Right. Put a bit of icing on that cake, call it a wedding cake, it's now 150 pounds. Yeah, 50 pounds, wow. Yeah. Cake, see what I mean? Mm. But, but it's a wedding cake or dress, 100 pounds, wedding dress, 1,000 pounds. 1,000 pounds, yeah. A lot of suppliers would say, right, photocopier, um, 200 pounds, photocopy to a law firm, two and a half thousand pounds. That's yeah. what's happening. Or... Mm. Uh, supply office supplies to a firm, hundred pounds. Office supplies to a law firm, two hundred pounds. I was seeing this because I remember seeing the photocopier contract and thinking, "Hang on a minute, that's ridiculous. Who did this contract?" So I'd go and speak to one of the the, the way law firms worked is they had a managing partner and a management group. So mm. although they had 20, 20 partners, only five of them made the decisions for all the others. Yeah. And then occasionally they'd all get together to make a decision. But that's how it worked. But they were putting people in charge of things, and they hadn't a clue. So there yeah. was a lawyer, a lawyer in charge of the website, for example, who mm. had, didn't have a clue how websites worked. They, right. were, they were paying in 2005, I think this was, they were paying £28,000 a year for their website. Whoa. And that's what they were paying. Now, I knew this because, and I was the only one who knew this. Yeah. When they wanted to put some uh, an article into the website, they would have to get the article drawn up. But because these guys were all so busy, they would pay somebody to write the article in their name. Yeah. It was 500 quid, right? Then they would give it to the, the PR company who would check it out. Yeah. Make sure they weren't saying the wrong thing and they were on message and on brand, you know, yeah. and all that bollocks, right? Uh -huh. And you would charge them 500 quid. So you've got this this 1,200-word blog article that hardly yeah. be read that costs them 500 quid to get written, 500 quid for the PR company to look at it, and yeah. then the PR company handed it to a company who coded it to put it onto the website. The website, and yeah. 500 quid, right? <laughs> so, and the website was absolutely rubbish. It was just a giant JPEG. It wasn't even a website. It was... The, yeah. It featured nowhere in any rankings or anything. Yeah. It 
basically a one a, a it was basically a, a, their, their headed paper with their address and number on it, and you couldn't even yeah. click on the number. You'd have to write the number down, and it was <laughs> absolutely awful. Hmm. So uh, I said, "Well, look," I said, I, "Put me in charge of the website." And they said, "Well, what qualifications have you got to be in charge of the website?" Well, I had one qualification, and mm -hmm. that one qualification was I knew how Google worked. I knew how Google ranking worked. Mm. How you know how Google? You could check the statistics. Yeah. I, knew how, I knew how to find out how how a website performed. Yeah, that's all. That's that's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. Right? I didn't know who would write this, who would do nothing, but I knew this one thing. Yeah, I showed them their statistics. And I showed them a rival law firm statistics, and it was like yeah. night and day. I mean, it really was night and day. Yeah. yeah. Their website was getting thousands of hits. Our website was getting 20 hits. Mm. Ridiculous. So I said, look, I can change that. I know how to change that. So one of the, one of the partners then said, right, you know how to change it. How long will it take? <clears throat> and I said, probably just about a weekend. You know, you can make small changes and get a massive difference. Yeah. So they said, right, okay, if you can get that from where it is now, where do you think you can get it to? I said, well, it's, it's at 20. I can probably get it to 1,000, which is the wow. same as your rival firm in yeah. a short period of time. <clears throat> and they said, well, if you can do that, then you can have the task of completely revamping the website. Yeah. We'll put you in charge, mm -hmm. and your budget will be less than 28,000. So the budget will be 20,000. Okay? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I thought. Right, okay. Yep, challenge accepted. <laughs> so I called up the one guy I knew that knew yeah. about Brian, his name was, the one guy I knew about websites. I said, Brian, what do I do? Yeah. He said, right, we've got a plan here. We'll get you to the Google rankings. We'll get you right up the pages. He yeah. said, we're going to use black hat techniques. Mm. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. He said, yeah. never, he said never mind. It worked like a dream. Said, is there a partner there that you know <clears throat> who you can um, you can uh, tell him what's going on, and he'll play along with this for a few days. Yeah. And I said, yeah, there is. There's one guy there that I know that will go along with this. I said, right, okay. He said, right, here's what we're going to do. And he told me what the plan was, right? Yeah. And I went to see the partner, and I told him the plan, and he's like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. And I went, look, it's only for the weekend. We'll yeah. change, we want to change your profile for the weekend just so that we can get the rankings up. And yeah. then Monday, I swear we will take it down and it will go back to your normal profile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He said, you sure? You promised me now this profile is only going to be up for a weekend. I said, yes, it is. He said, yeah. right, okay, go ahead and do it. Okay. <laughs> so what we did was we rewrote this guy's profile and we loaded it with keywords. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. loaded it with keywords. Yeah. I should have kept this thing because I, I can only remember a couple of bits of it, but it yeah. was a it was about 200 words or something in his profile. Yeah. And in his profile, <clears throat> we wrote, you know, his name, and he was uh, a, a lawyer in the law firm. Now, the, the law firm was called uh, Morrison's. I've got, I'm pretty sure I've got bookmark mm -hmm. things. Yes. So here it is. Right? So it looked like that M. Yeah. Morrison's, yeah. Right? Morrison's It was called Morrison's Solicitor. So that was the law firm. Yeah. So we called it Morrison's International Law Firm. Ah, uh, <laughs> okay. So what's the acronym for Morrison's International <laughs> Law Firm? 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can see where I'm going with this. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we said that the lawyer worked for Morrison's International Law Firm in brackets M-I-L-F. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we just kept putting M-I-L-F all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> and we said that he specialized in water sports injuries. Yeah. Anyway, it was loaded with innuendo, right? Yeah. <laughs> For those of you are listening and don't understand what's going on, it was loaded yeah. with sexual innuendo. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then as soon, as soon as we loaded that up onto the website, mm -hmm. he, he started using, you know, not Google. I, I can't remember what he did, but Google keywords, Google AdWords, something like that. He did one or two things to tweak yeah. it. <clears throat> anyway, the upshot was that when we next took the screenshot of the the, the hits, it wasn't 20 anymore. Mm -hmm. It wasn't 1,000 anymore. Yeah. It was about 100,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the spike just went bang. Went yeah. Bang, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. But there's a thing in websites called the bounce rate. Mm -hmm. What the bounce rate is, is ex it's expressed as a percentage and a bounce rate means that someone's gone to a website, they've realized it's the wrong website, yeah. so they close down the browser, they just come back out of it. Yeah. So anybody that has a bounce rate of more than 50%, it, it, they need to do something to, to change their marketing or their AdWords or whatever, or their keywords. They have to change it. Okay. Mm -hmm. We had a bounce rate of 99.4% or something. <laughs> people, people who'd seen this clicked on it, and that. Yeah. This isn't the site I'm looking for. Right. Okay. I'm in Scotland. I'm, and, then, and then just came out of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the partners I was presenting to, they had no idea what a bounce rate yeah, the bounce rate is. <laughs> our bounce rate before on the screen, it yeah. showed 20 bounce rate 8% or something. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we had 100,000 hits and a bounce rate of 99 point something percent. So yeah. I put this up on the, the flat screen in the boardroom and said, look. Look, I told you we knew what we were doing, and look at the bounce rate. How wonderful is that? And they were like, whoa, this is great. You, you must know what you're doing. You're in charge of the website. That's classic. <laughs> that was pretty much my uh, my yeah. uh, my brush with the law. And because um, the bounce rate is so high, I mean, the technical people associate a higher number with good things, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got hits. I mean, you know, yeah. the number of people looking at <laughs> Anyway, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going. I'm rabbiting on a bit here, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I, mean, that's I suppose uh, you know wealth and mindset. So finishing yeah. the, uh, with the law firm, hmm. um, I, I, I kind of I, I was a bit stifled there. I didn't I didn't enjoy working for. I enjoyed being self-employed. I didn't enjoy working in an office. Hmm. I, I enjoyed the people I was working with, hmm. but I didn't enjoy the the sort of the whole law firm thing. You you can't say this, and you're not allowed to say that. I mean, to give you an example, um, if you ever get an email from me, mm -hmm. most of the emails I've got uh, will, you know, they have my contact details and things in it, but they don't have a disclaimer. My disclaimer is uh, I don't disclaim anything about this email. I'm actually quite proud of it. Okay, That's my disclaimer. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever had uh, an email from a law firm <clears throat> and the disclaimer usually takes up two pages? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always. And at the end, it says, ironically, it says, protect the environment, don't print this off. Okay? 
Well, that wasn't lost on me when I was at this particular law firm because I remember um, I, I had to turn up at some meeting and I had to print off the last email that we had sent to somebody. Yeah. So I'd gone to the, pr- the printer. That's another story completely. We got that sorted out immediately. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I'd, I'd printed off this uh, email and it had this, you know, a couple of lines of information. But then this massive, you know, disclaimer in yeah. color, in color with a, a logo at the bottom of a, of a pine tree saying, please protect the environment. Yeah. And I thought, that's just nuts. So I said to the managing partner and the others, look, we don't need a disclaimer. To, you know, I'd, I'd investigated it. Hmm. For a disclaimer to work properly, what should happen is you should get on your screen, instead of a subject line, you should get a disclaimer. And then you click on that and it shows you the disclaimer and then you have to accept it. You know now when we do GDPR and you go to visit a website and it says cookies, do you accept yeah. cookies? Yeah. Yeah. That should happen before you open a, an email every single time. Now, um, can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Yeah, okay? yeah. But that's how it should happen. Because what tends to happen is if you get an email and it's the you know, the email usually says, this email has been sent in good faith and blah, 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 and it should have gone to this recipient. And if it hasn't gone to that recipient and it's gone to you by mistake, you must yeah. completely delete it as if you haven't seen it. Uh, you yeah. know, and no one, oh, it's just full of rubbish. <laughs> which you you know you see anyway yeah so i challenged this i said look we should get rid of our disclaimer all we need on there is contact details this massive disclaimer needs to go but they disagreed with me they said no no the law society insists on it yeah so i went to see the law society to say mm-hmm. we don't need a disclaimer can you give us a, a decision on this please a judgment and they wouldn't they couldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't they couldn't Give us a, you know, they just said, well, um, no, you need to have a disclaimer. But they gave us no reason for having one. For having one, no yeah. viable reason for having a disclaimer. It's completely pointless. I don't get me into my my fights <laughs> with the law society uh, and challenging things. But, you know, if things have always been such a way, I always like, well, why? Can we challenge it? Can we challenge it? You know? Yeah. Mm. I probably heard of a, a story of a, a woman uh, it's a, an old story about a woman who was taught how to cook by her mother and whenever they got this leg of lamb they always had to cut it in half mm. cook it in the oven and she's like this is what why she said oh that's i was this is the best way i was told this by my mother she was yeah. taught by her grandmother who was taught it by her grandmother yeah. and this is how we cook lamb and so when she investigated, she found out the reason why they cut it in half is because the great-grandmother had a tiny oven and only had one dish and couldn't uh, and had to cut it in half. But now ovens were bigger. Dishes were, they didn't need to cut the leg in half. They cut it in half. It was, that's the way things have always been done, you see? Yeah. So whenever somebody says to me something like that, I was like, well, why? What's the reasoning behind it? Yeah. You know, there's a reason behind you, – you can look it up. There's even a reason behind why the space shuttle – has mm. the you know, when it when it flew, it had the two rocket boosters on the back. Yeah, mm-hmm. engineers and scientists will tell you that that's not the best way. Mm-hmm. Why do they do it that way? And the answer is because it's the way they had to do it because of Roman chariots. Um. It has these boosters because of Roman chariots. So, in a brief nutshell, it's because the space shuttle flies from Cape Canaveral. The rocket boosters are made in Idaho. To get to Cape Canaveral, they have to go on a train. Uh-huh. The train has to go through tunnels. The tunnels are only a certain size to fit the train. 
The train is a certain size to fit the tracks. The tracks are a certain size because when the first trains were made, they were made by carriage makers. Carriage makers had the rear wheels four foot six inches apart because yeah. the, when the Romans had Roman roads in Britain, mm -hmm. the chariots went into the roads. The chariots were a certain size because it had two horses in front. Yeah. So the space shuttle rocket boosters were designed to fit the shape of two Roman horses' backsides. Yeah. It's, because, you know what I mean? It's just like... <laughs> so when I hear that, that's why I always think... I always think about either that woman cutting the leg of lamb in half or the two horses' backsides. The two horses, yeah. Wow, because, you know, big things like that, it, like you're saying, it's not something someone would think about. And because it's so massive, you know, something like a, a rocket people just say the scientists got it absolutely spot on and it's just yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, they, they had to they worked within constraints that they didn't yeah. want to, have to work within so the yeah. logical solution would have been well let's pick a factory that doesn't have to send them by train yeah. or a factory that you know they don't have to go through tunnels or let's make them nearby instead yeah, nearby. that would have yeah. been the logical solution but hey never mind yeah. wow well, <laughs> So anyway, so that that's that. Um, mm -hmm. I then um, started doing a bit of blogging, um, yeah. uh, and that blogging um, sort of led to other lawyers to approach me to tell me of their challenges, that sort of thing. Yeah. I then became a sort of quasi-mentor to lawyers, yeah. and law firms. So I ended up leaving the law firm, and I went to work with a guy called Brian Middleton, Mm -hmm. Lovely guy, died a couple of years ago, unfortunately. But um, Brian Middleton was a part of um, a company called 360 Legal. Yeah. And 360 Legal uh, used to uh, consult with law firms. So mm -hmm. I do a bit of law firm consulting, basically showing them that, they, you know, how they would make a better profit. Yeah. Again, using the results accountant network system, which had systems, processes. Here's how you do things. Here's the best way that this works. And myself and Brian visited a number of firms, and we made them better. If you like, yeah. mm -hmm. so I then got a couple of articles published uh, in you know newspapers, national newspapers, that sort of thing. Um, you know, then there, there were there were a lot of changes coming into the legal the legal sector. The Clementi report came out, which allowed non lawyers to own law firms. Yeah, uh, lots of changes. A guy called Richard Susskind wrote a book called The End of Lawyers when he mm -hmm. said intelligence and all this was going to take over we were yeah. not going to have lawyers anymore the law firms were being squeezed there was a the global the global crash came lots of law firms went to the wall lots yeah. of lawyers committed suicide it was a very turbulent time yeah. mm. so i was doing a bit of public speaking then and i was talking at an event in london and a guy came up to me and said because uh, i told uh, uh, you know i had to earn the honor why what gave me the right to tell law firms how to run a business yeah. Yeah. So I can tell a sort of potted version of the story I've just told you about yeah. my, my life. And he came up to me and he said, you're in the wrong wrong job. You should come and work with us. You'd mm. be perfect. And that was a guy called Bill Morrow. And mm. Bill Morrow, mm. uh, I think I originally met him at, a, at, at, a, at an event, at one of those events where you have stalls, at, you know, not an ideal home exhibition event, but a, a huge event like that where lawyers go and, and people who serve lawyers and, and all that sort of go, and you have a stall you have a stand there and you talk to people about your firm and you talk about something else. I, I think I met him there. I was doing a talk at that and he also, his business had a stall there. So I got yeah. to him and then he said, you should come and work with us. And that was an organization called Angel's Den. Yeah. Uh, and Angel's Den, largest angel investor group in the world with thousands of investors. And basically you put your business idea to them. 
and, and they will find investors who will support it. Yeah, I did that for a number of years. I was approached by some who wanted to do Property Angels Den, mm-hmm. uh, PAD as it was known. They wanted to get more involved in property. I then researched property online. I found some property training companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I went on some training at property training companies. I liked what they had to say. It was mm-hmm. great. Um, I was invited by them then to do some talks about angel investing and property investing mm-hmm. and then talks around wealth and mindset. And then I, yeah. I invited to become a, uh, a mentor. So I'm now mentor to several hundred people uh, yeah. in groups and individually. I had a group call last night, actually last night between eight and nine, there were 12 of us in a, in a group call, mm-hmm. uh, all about, you know, mindset, all about values, vision, all yeah. about all that stuff. So, you know, that's probably for another day. I'm conscious, yeah. of, I'm conscious of the time here. Yeah. yeah. They're probably going, you know, he's gone on a bit. He's rabbited on a bit, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. But you, you see you see what I meant when I'm saying I can, I can talk to you for days and days. And it's just so fascinating. I mean, your, your story. And <laughs> well, well uh, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, it's usually when people, when I do Q&As, a question usually triggers some event that's happened. Yeah, some event. You can remember or... Uh, connecting people you know I'm, I'm very much in favor of leverage i think you know yeah. someone else someone else who loves doing what they want to do mm-hmm. if i can't do it i'd like to someone else to do it so yeah. whenever he contacts me I'll, I'll nearly always know someone who will know the answer yeah the answer yeah it's quite good i mean i haven't even touched upon you know uh, in the law firm we were going to do a thing called just do law which was a whole webs it was a massive website with all bits and pieces on it and it yeah. meant you were a lawyer and you left the law firm, you could you could plug into this portal and have access to all the tools and things that lawyers needed because they yeah. have money laundering and, and it's very complicated. But we set up a whole system called justdolaw.com, brought yeah. in suppliers. There was all the you know, all the meetings around that led me to meet some wonderful people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to a company called Conscious Solutions in Bristol, who mm-hmm. are absolutely brilliant at that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, just loads, loads, software developers, things like that. Yeah. Mm. In the space of Angel's Den, you get lots of people coming with varied business ideas. I mean, yeah. as I sit on my desk right now, I've got quite a number of them. So we've got ideas around, um, or, or people looking for money around fishing quota, around university online training, around mm. fuel poverty, around, um, where are we? Yeah, construction, e-viewing, um, research parks. We've got uh, Hypervine, which is building site wearables. You yeah. know, the, you know the property. We've got um, well, LinkedIn knowledge for for organisations, so that if you're creating a team, you can pull this together using a company called SimSync. Yeah. Uh, LNG Schools Online. Uh, you know, Metacarpal Prosthetic Arms. There's tons, tons of stuff that I, yeah. I have, you know a little bit of knowledge about tons of things, but I know the people that do is the main thing. Yeah. That's so, so if you came to me and said something ridiculous, like, you know, I've got a friend who's got a prosthetic arm, but it costs him 20 grand. It's ridiculous. I know mm-hmm. we can get that same prosthetic arm for two grand, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it's brilliant. And it means that if he, if it gets broken or, or whatever, is he can replace it dead quick and, yeah. it, and it can be made with 3d printing. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, my 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 contacts are a bottomless pit of, of wonderful, <laughs> wonderful current up to date things which I yeah. absolutely love. Anyway, yeah. there yeah. we go. 
That's, that's brilliant. But with all these uh, ideas and things, because it looks like you've, you've got a sort of a vast network. I mean, doesn't that lead to sort of overwhelm or thinking that like there's there's too much? Because that's that's what, you know, some, some people in terms of looking at direction for themselves. They want to yeah. have one focus in, in, in a one particular thing and they can work well with that. But how yeah. do you manage with just vast amount of knowledge and contacts and network? Well, I have people that work with me. I mean, there's Nick, there's Stuart, there's Ross, there's Maria um, that, that work. Um, and, and although I'm doing mentoring, there's people that organize all of that. Callum organizes all of that. Joe organizes a, a lot of things there. Gia organizes a lot of things. Uh, yeah. They organize They organize everything. I just turn up. So yeah. Speaking engagements or anything like that. Um, mm. Nigel, Nigel Best and I have a podcast called How to Raise Money. Yeah. Um, I have another podcast which is called The Skill Stack. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I basically just deliver the content. Um, yeah. I, I work with Paul O'Mahony when it comes to social media. Paul O'Mahony's a great guy. He's got a, he's got um, a wonderful book called Rethink, Rethink mm. Social Media. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 start earning money. How to make money? So I mean, I know, I know him personally. Mm. Great guy. Um, I'm doing a presentation for him this weekend online on Zoom. So these yeah. people organize everything, and I just turn up and do, you know, you've organized this, Alex, and I'm just yeah. turning up and talking. <laughs> one thing, I mean, I have a world record for talking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this world record. Some people will be saying, he's obviously going for the record today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. but I actually have a, you know, I have a Guinness World Record for, for public speaking. Speaking that that's brilliant, but then you, you see, for you to turn up, you must have that prior knowledge of something to talk about because uh, you know, to, to do all these things, it's about knowledge, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, it is about, yeah, of course, it's about knowledge. I remember, I mentioned earlier on about that um, uh, driving thing, I found yeah. it. Ah, it's like, ah, yes, have you to drive? it's not, it's not, don't have five, it's don't have that fifth pint. No, I don't have that fifth pint. So four is I, I do remember another one which said, if you're going to drive, don't have five. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose it, it's just about, uh, yeah. you know, I, I like I like new stuff. Mm. Um, I, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like new stuff. I like I like researching about new things. I like teaching, training, and helping other people. Yeah. And the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I, I, I enjoy that. Mm. Yeah. So, a lot. Um, mm. and in fact, one of the things um, that I would say is uh, if anyone's listening to this and, and you say they're worried about direction or getting, you know, yeah. shiny penny, doing too many things, et cetera, uh, the answer to that is work out, work out what your values are. What are your values first? There's a great book, Dr. John Demartini, called The Values Factor. You can yeah. go to his website, which is drdemartini.com, and that doctor is D-R-D-E-M-A-D-Martini.com. Go there, and it will say values determination. You click on the link, answer 13 questions, and narrow down what your values are. Yeah. Another way of discovering your core values is to get cards like this. Mm, discover your core values, yeah. These are core value cards. That's that's the name of the company, mm-hmm. yeah. and then. They have a whole range of cards you can probably see there. Yeah, education, assertiveness, assertiveness active, active, hopeful. There's all these values on here. 
-hmm. And you use the cards essentially to 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 create three piles. Mm -hmm. And say, well, you know, um, yes, I like that one, or no, that's not me, or anything like that. Or you just anyway, it tells you the website there will tell you how to do it. Yeah, uh, uh, you, can, you can get the cards. They cost twenty quid on Amazon. They're great, great cards. Or you can do Doctor John Martinez, or do both, and yeah. then work out what your values are. So when I worked out mine, it was um, wealth, freedom, uh, contribution, growth, harmony, and control. Now, you can mm -hmm. see that those are incompatible with being a lawyer. You know, yeah. harmony, control. Now, I mean control, meaning I manage my life effectively. I don't mean controlling other people. Mm -hmm. uh, harmony, uh, everything in business, family life, you know, just we should live in harmony. Yeah. Uh, peace, love, and harmony. Um, growth, mentally, um, mentally, spiritually, and financially, teaching, training, and helping others. So there's one of my values. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, contribution, inspiration, health, family, love. You know, once you find out, um, and that, that's one thing I teach in the, the skill stack is to find out your purpose. Yeah. So what what is your purpose? And the way you find your purpose is by doing your values. Now, if you do, if you find out what you love doing, okay, and I love public speaking, I love yeah. presenting, I love teaching, training, this kind of thing, as you can tell, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I do this. Could do this for hours, quite honestly. I'm fascinated, absolutely. <laughs> when we finish, when we finish this call, shoot soon. I have to say, yeah, yeah. I have one-to-one -one calls lined up with people yeah. who want to speak to me, people who yeah. paid paid me money for guidance and things like that. So, yeah. uh, and in about half an hour, I have my first one, and then I have a few others after that. Yeah. So some days I might go from seven in the morning until nine p.m. at night, one-to-one mm. -one calls, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and it doesn't drain me. It actually energizes me because I'm doing what I enjoy. Yeah. So if you do what you love, if you're any good at it, and the measure of that is, you know, people. if people ask you to do podcasts, if people ask you to do public speaking, if people ask you to do that, then, then you know, they must they must think that you're quite absolutely. good at it, regardless of what I think. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. So if you do what you love, if you're any good at it, if the world needs it, and if you can get paid for it, yeah. then that is your purpose. Mm -hmm. And I've seen I've seen lawyers go from from being lawyers to doing something completely different because by the time I'd had a chat with them and, and gone through a process with them, yeah. you know, it, it's almost like I don't know if you ever. Uh, it, well, there's a thing called Monty Python. Have you heard of Monty Python? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Python, yeah. Michael Palin in Monty Python, yeah. and um, he, he's in a scene with with a woman who plays Polly in um, Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said to her. I never wanted to do this. I wanted to be a lumberjack. Yeah. Singing the song of he's a lumberjack and he's okay. Uh, he, he has this transition of, I never wanted to do this. I only wanted to become a lumberjack. Yeah. Well, everybody has that within them to find out what it is that they want to do. And then they can cast off what they don't. I mean, mm -hmm. I was a lawyer, you know, good my by any definition good paid job yeah you know, parents love you when you you know if you turn around and they're, they're proud to say oh my son's a lawyer you know yeah. you make it on the wall and it was the first time in my life that my parents actually said my son's a lawyer and they could they could be proud of it yeah and, and yet i hated it yeah I, I liked i liked the idea of law i hated the structures under which it operated yeah. which which really really need a good shake up mm. But yeah. I'm not the only one. There are loads, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that are doing law because their parents wanted them to or they fell under pressure or whatever. 
Um, I mean, my own wife was a lawyer. When I met her, she was a lawyer. Yeah. Sat down with her. She said, I never wanted to be a lawyer. My dad wanted me to be a lawyer. And I said, well, don't do law then. Yeah. Okay. So she went off to do some other things. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm speaking to a couple of people right now who are going through the same transition. Mm. So there's lawyers, there's doctors, there's accountants, there's chiropractors, there's all sorts of professionals I've spoken to who mm. do different things now. Yeah. You know, they do carpentry. They do, uh, you know, they sell guitars worldwide online. Mm. They do all sorts of different things. They, you know, they sell antique cars or just tons of things. Um, in one of the podcasts that uh, that I have, Skillstack Podcast, episode number 28, mm-hmm. called 11 Excuses for Not yeah. Making progress but that episode is loaded with examples of people yeah. who are doing different things yeah different things. Um, but they're now doing it uh in line with their their values yeah they're doing, you know they're, do, they're doing what they love the some some people will get stuck on uh, where they find out what their values are or their, what their passion is but they can't think of ideas how to monetize it, for example. So, I mean, how, how can they think in, in those terms? Because people are, are, are looking for stability and an income, but if they like maybe singing or something, and that's their passion, but they, are, they can't figure out how can they make it big in the same way that they are earning uh, okay. in their day-to-day job, for example. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the rules are, are the rules, but the, the, the guidance, the direction is that you you. Find out what you love, first of all. Yeah. Are, are you any good at it is the next thing. Mm-hmm. Does the world need it and can you be paid for it? So it's got to tick those boxes. So you'll have somebody who says, well, I love singing. Mm. And then, you know, you, you see it on X Factor all the time. Somebody goes up and goes, yeah, and, and maybe they're like younger and their parents are with them and they go, oh, yes, she's absolutely wonderful. And then she starts singing and you just think, that, that's just rubbish. You know, <laughs> you don't have a chance. Yeah. So you've got to be realistic about it. Yeah. Remember, you love it, but does the world need it? Yeah, and you yeah. have to be yourself as well. Mm-hmm. So what tends to happen is a lot of people will come on and they'll try and mimic somebody else. Yeah. The world doesn't need another another person like that. They need you know the world needs you. You've got different values. Everybody's got different values. Yeah. If they didn't, it wouldn't be necessary. So you've got to live to within what yours are mm-hmm. and your authentic self. Not yeah. try and copy anybody else not try and mimic anybody else, just be yourself. And you'll find that that will attract and repel people in equal portions. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, to find out how you monetize something, um, in the last few weeks I've had three or four people who've had this breakthrough Mm -hmm. where we've gone through a process, they've they've worked on their values, we've managed to, to narrow down what their values are, we work on their vision, we work on their financial targets, we work on their routine and there's, there's various other aspects that we, we work on over a period of about eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Usually at about week five or six, that's when breakthroughs occur. And that's yeah. what we're seeing now. It's when it's, because the, the thing about the skill stack, and this, I've learned this for many years of coaching people, and mm-hmm. is, is most people come with the same challenges. So mm-hmm. when people come to see me at an event, uh, as a mentor at a property event, or they book time with me, mm-hmm. what they want is money. They think I am the access to money because I know a lot of investors and I know a lot of lenders and I have a process in place. So they come yeah. to me looking for money. And, but, but I say, well, what do you need the money for? You know, what, what's, that, what's that going to do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you enjoy what you're doing? 
Well, uh, yeah, I like I like this strategy because it's you know commercial conversions. I like because it'll bring me a lot of money. Have you done any before? There's got to be credibility there. Are you any yeah. good at it? Remember, do you yeah. love it? Are you any good at it? And yeah. I probe the, those areas. And and most people, yeah, they want they don't know what they want. They know they want money. They want freedom. They want time, but they don't know how to to get it. To get it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the reason I deal with a lot of lawyers or professionals is because I was one. And if you're a lawyer or professional and you're earning a lot of money, you're in a gilded cage. You cannot give up the income because it won't support the lifestyle that you already yeah. have. Yeah. The house, the car, the kids at school, etc. Mm-hmm. So you've got a transition period. So how do you transition from one to the other? Yeah. And that's a process that has to be gone through, and, and, and I can't go through it now. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, the breakthrough, though, is usually when somebody – I mean, I was talking to – give you a recent example from literally yeah. last week. Uh, was a woman who uh, was going through the process and she said, look, I, I don't know, um, I'm a bit stuck. So I said, okay. So I went through, a, 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 I have a number of questions that I ask. It's all about questioning, yeah, asking the right questions. So I have a number of questions I ask. And one of the questions when she said, oh, I don't know what my values are, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, mm-hmm. I, you ask, what are you surrounded by? What do you have on the wall? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your money on, et cetera, et cetera. But I said to her, what's your, what's your most favored item? What do you love most? And she just laughed. She went, oh, well, it's silly. I said, well, what is it? She said, it's a set of knives. I said, mm. what kind of knives? She said, you know, chef's knives, sabatier, mm. solingen. You know those type of knives that got a black handle with three dots on it, and it's yeah. a beautiful blade, and it's engraved with her name. And she's now in her 40s, but she got these knives when she was 16 or 17. Mm. Loved cooking, okay? Yeah. And she said to me, uh, she said, and, and, and I absolutely love them. And I said, well, I have a set of knives because I used to have restaurants and I did yeah. cooking. I actually went to college, night school, to learn about cooking as well. Yeah. You know, um, And I got a set of knives and they're engraved with my name on them. Mm. And I said, I bet you I know what, you, what your most annoying, irritating thing is with knives. And she said, what? I said, if somebody puts them in the dishwasher. And she went, oh, God, I can't stand that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't put my knives in the dishwasher. You're not. <laughs> These knives are good quality in the handle. If you put them in the dishwasher, the wooden handle separates away. Um, the blade is the important part, but you need the handle, you know? Yeah. So it mustn't go in a dishwasher. Um, and and she, we talked and laughed and joked about that. And then it turns out that in the 1980s and 90s, she had gone around Scotland, most of the stately homes in Scotland, cooking, cooking game, game meat like venison, you know, uh, partridge, pheasant, rabbits, hares, that sort of thing. She'd done all these sort of dinner parties for these stately homes all over Scotland. Mm. And she had some fantastic memories, lots of pictures and so on. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you do that again now? Oh, I'd absolutely love to. I said, but, I, and then, but then she started doing what most people do. I can't for the following reasons. And then giving me all the reasons why she can't do something. So I said, mm. I said, well, okay, have you ever heard of a program called Outlander? And she said, no. Well, Outlander is massive. If you haven't watched it, you ought to watch it. Mm. It's, about, it's about Scotland. Okay, The Americans love it. And when I say love it, I mean they're mad for it. Right? Yeah. The Americans are absolutely mad for Outlander. And it's a bizarre, it's, it's, it's uh, a program that is by the books, the, the author, I'll find in a second. The author is uh, Diana Gabaldon. Gabaldon. Diana Gabaldon. Gabaldon. Called Outlander. And Mm -hmm. it's a bizarre story. It's a story of a woman 
after the Second World War, um, she she goes on honeymoon with her husband to Scotland to, to this Standing Stones, mm-hmm. and, and she touches on the Standing Stones and basically falls into the past, and she wakes up in Scotland in 1743. Mm. There was a massive rebellion in Scotland in 1745, the Jacobite yeah. rebellion, and then there was Culloden and all the rest of it. So she goes back in time, but in 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 her previous life she was a doctor, so yeah. she arrives back in time with all this medical knowledge, and she's you know treating people who've been injured and all this kind of kind of think she's a witch and this and that. Anyway, she meets this guy. It's a fantastic story. I mean, it really is a brilliant. It's on Netflix. I swear to God, you'll binge watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I said to her, I said, look, Americans are mad for that. You've gone on around all these locations. You should be putting down the recipes. You should be talking the story and basically using the hashtag Outlander. Mm. And, and I said, look, there's a there's an example of a photographer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Who has he's, – yeah. he's, he's yeah. a photographer taking people around Scotland. Yeah. He's fully booked. He's doing Outlander tours. He's now fully booked taking people wow. around Scotland. Yeah. Okay? So that's an example of someone doing what they love. And in Don Martini, he gives an example of a woman who is uh, in her 40s. She's overweight. She loved dancing. Yeah. I can't be a dancer. Mm -hmm. He said, but you know all about dancing. So what she does, she she did before the lockdown, she took people around the world to to see. So she would take a bunch of rich Americans to Barcelona to to watch the tango. She took a bunch of rich Americans down to uh, Buenos Aires to uh, to watch the tango. So she'd go to Barcelona to watch flamenco. Mm. take people around the world because she loved traveling so she loved travel uh i know guys that are ex-military that take people on on battlefield tours yeah to the falkland islands they get very well paid for it that sort of thing so they're doing what they love mm. and this woman, because of the lockdown the woman in america that can no longer take people around these places what she does now is she takes videos of dancing with the stars or strictly come dancing and she analyzes the, the the videos in the same way that a football pundit would analyze uh, a football game. Okay, yeah. If you ever watch match of the day, yeah, uh, football, and at the end you get the two guys that sit there and they go, right, here's here's how the first goal was scored, and they show you where all the players were out of position and so on and so on. I love that. I love watching that bit. Yeah. If you've ever watched Strictly Come Dancing, you'll see there's a there's a judge in Britain called Craig Revel Horwood, and he's yeah. always tough. <laughs> And someone goes out dancing, and the audience goes, "Yeah, that was brilliant." And 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 then they come to the judges, and yeah. he goes, "Well, darling, that was just simply awful." And everybody starts booing. <laughs> and then he gives them a score, six out of ten. And you're like, "How did he give them six out of ten? Well, yeah. what the woman does is she analyzes and shows you how mm. the judges score. So she slow motions down the, the video yeah. and says, "Look at the position of the feet, or yeah. the position of the head or the hand, or, and it's wrong, and it should be here." And then mm. she two images up and she'll show you a, a, an image of a, of a professional dance couple in the proper position, proper and, position. and then a picture of the celebrity and the dancer and mm. you can see how it's all wrong and she'll superimpose them on top of each other yeah <laughs> she says, that's what the judges are looking for wow. she's doing that on eventbrite charging 30 dollars a time and getting two or three hundred people each time to log in they log in wow <laughs> so, you see what i mean yeah I, that's how you make money at something like that. Yeah. I mean, I've got tons of examples, but if you listen to that yeah. podcast, episode number 28 of The yeah. Skill 
Full Stack Podcast. Podcast, yeah. Listen to that one. It will give you much more detail. Yeah. Anyway, uh, really conscious of time. Um, yeah. Because no, I have calls lined yeah, up. Absolutely. <laughs> Just quickly, uh, you've, got, you've mentioned the Skill Stack and uh, the other NGOs podcast as well. How else can people find you? They're looking for you. Social media, Facebook. Yeah. Social, yeah, I mean, my name, Ray McLennan. I'm on social media, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Ray, I think it's at Ray underscore McLennan. I'm on yeah. Instagram at Ray McLennan. I'm also on at the Skill Stack. I'm on, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook yeah. as the Skill Stack. Yeah. Podcast is called How to Raise Money. Yeah. Uh, there, there's also twitter all the rest around how to raise money so yeah you can, you'll get me through there yeah um, now any emails that go to me will not necessarily come to me There's, yeah there are people that will screen them out so uh, but you can you'll, you will definitely get a response if you email me um ray at raisingangelfinance.co.uk would be the most common one or ray at the skill stack.com one yeah. of those um they will be seen by someone who will reply on my behalf yeah because uh, most of the questions are frequently asked questions yeah okay brilliant Ray. we can talk all day as you've said but it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you very much for coming on the podcast i'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm you know my, my head is just blowing up thinking i haven't even touched a, a, a percentage of what you have to offer and the, you know you're, you're well, i'm very happy to do it thank you for inviting me it's, it's, say, it's always, always a pleasure to talk absolutely thank you very much Ray. enjoy the rest of the day I know. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.